Welcome to the Barfly Podcast Season 3. My name is Jeff Burkhart, Barfly columnist for the Marin IJ and author of the book 20 Years Behind Bars, The Spirit of the Adventures of a Real Bartender, and its sequel, 20 Years Behind Bars, Parole Denied. Today, my co-host is Kevin Blum, restaurant consultant and former community director of the online review site Yelp. Welcome, Kevin. Have a drink on me. For the inaugural episode of the Barfly Podcast Season 3, Kevin and I decided we wanted to do an episode on culinary cocktails, technique, application, and culinary crossover. And when it comes to culinary ideas, who better to talk to than chef, cookbook author, restaurateur, television personality, and Marin local, Tyler Florence. Welcome, Tyler. Thank you so much. So, so glad to be back. When it comes to making great cocktails, it, it's the same as cooking. Like you're sculpting something wet. So that it, it has to have a nice full flavor. It has to have balance and body to it. There needs to be a, sort of a bright acidic note. It needs to have a point of view. It needs to taste like something. And it needs to be, and to me, balance is the key word when it comes to making great cocktails. And I talk to my wife about it all, all the time too, who's now, who now makes fantastic cocktails on how to season and balance flavor. Well, it's seasoning, right? I mean, cocktails are the, the practical application of adding the two ingredients or three ingredients or whatever it is, but then it's the little subtle seasoning thing that, that makes the difference. And that's true with cooking. Absolutely. So for, the, for example, uh, this past holiday season, we were making cranberry Manhattans in the kitchen, right? So we took uh, cranberries and we put them into a beverage, a glass beverage container. And then we added, you know, it was two pounds of cranberries and then two big bottles of bourbon because we had you know, a couple of our pod families uh, were going to pop by for some cocktail parties and stuff. So we we're, were just going to batch out a big drink for the season. And we had tested it and I thought it was really delicious. But that's what we started out with, right, is, a, is a, an infused bourbon. So we started out, so I had this you know, bright, really yummy, it almost tastes like vitamin C cranberries do, you know, this like sort of bright jammy flavor. And uh, I thought that was really delicious. But then when it comes to balance, you know, you have to be able to kind of smooth that whole thing out. So we added ice, which I think is a really key component to making drinks because it sort of cream, not not enough to dilute it, but enough to sort of cream the the texture out a little bit. And then, uh, of course, you need some some really good sweet vermouth to be able to do that. And then the ratio of it being, you know, two like two to one, two parts of the bourbon and then one part of the, the uh, sweet vermouth at the end. And then and then to me, like, that's just enough to, to really kind of hit it home where you have something absolutely delicious. And when it comes to, you know, balancing cocktails, you know, thinking about if my wife will just sort of riff on a watermelon margarita, like if she's making cocktails for friends and stuff, and she'll she'll batch out drinks all the time. She'll come and taste it, and to me, like my f- metric, how I measure this is like, it does it taste what I call jagged? Does it taste sharp? Does it taste acidic? Does it taste like something you want to have more than one of? And sometimes alcohol can be really harsh, and sometimes some of the uh, citrus components can be really super sharp. So then you're, you're you're thinking about balancing out with simple syrups that you can make in house, which is always really nice. And, all, and even like a little pinch of salt, which is such a nice touch. The Manhattan you're talking about is a pretty simple drink. And the thing is, you don't need to go crazy where it has to be 27 different ingredients and four different infusions and all that kind of thing. And you can kind of over overcomplicate things. And I think that's probably true with cooking, too. It always is, right? When you're, when you're tasting something, your palate really responds to spicy, sour, salty, and sweet. So if you're tasting something that feels kind of complex from a, a baseline standpoint. And I love to taste dishes as they start to evolve. So you taste something that feels 
kind of bland, but what you're really tasting are the base notes. You're tasting, if you're if you're making pot roast, for example, keep it really simple. It's all about the, the really great piece of beef shoulder. It's about the caramelized onions. It's about the garlic. It's about the bay leaf. It's about the red wine. It's about the beef stock. And then you taste that from a, from a baseline standpoint before you start adding things that are really going to enhance the flavor, like salt, lemon juice, and, and then fat, which is also a really nice component. Then, then you want to taste that, and then my tongue tells me what's not there. So to go back to my wife's margarita craze, and she makes really good, interesting margaritas, and she loves making them with fresh juice. You know, if it's fresh carrot juice or you know, fresh watermelon juice, those things for her are the vehicle to get the margarita down and to make it really kind of taste nice and special and interesting. Did you say carrot juice? Carrot margaritas are fantastic. <laughs> wow. Carrot wow. margaritas, oh, you haven't had it. Okay. Fresh pressed carrot juice, nice and bright green, really good, nice earthy sugar, white tequila, a little bit of Cointreau, and lime juice. And you can balance it out. But it's delicious. I will have to try that. That sounds remarkably interesting. That's one of those things where the, the culinary industry, you know, I mean, like I've heard this, the term bar chef a, a lot, but, you know, chef, of course, means chief of the kitchen and that's the person in charge. And bartenders often like to think they're in charge. But I mean, that, that's a whole nother topic of discussion. But the point being is using culinary techniques in cocktail making. And that's like you, you touched on simple syrup, which, of course, is sugar and water generally brought to a boil and then often flavored at this point. Do you see any of these, the, you know, I've seen like like these shrubs, which are essentially a gastrique, right? Like a, a, yep. a sugar uh, vinegar combination. Do you see anything like that, that besides carrot juice, which, I mean, that really got me off guard, but that sounds fabulous. Are there any other things like that that you're seeing that are very interesting? Go, going back to the cranberry Manhattan we made er, earlier, where we were, ta- we were talking right. about Earlier. So you start off with the cranberry infused bourbon, and then you add the sweet vermouth to that. And that's the sugar component. But that's really sort of a digestive on its own. So it has sort of a medicinal quality to it, which I think tastes really, really nice. But then you need to add a couple of splashes of bitters. And the bitters are really the balance. Like a splash of bitters. And, and that's just a, an idea that could be translated into seasoning things. So you can get a base line flavor when it, when it, it comes to making cocktails. And sometimes we just make it up. Like, we'll just make something that kind of feels like punch. You know, we'll have, you know, s- some kind of like really nice puree or juice to start off with. And then we're like, okay, where do you want to go with this? Gin, bourbon, vodka, tequila? Like, what sounds really nice? We like Blanco tequila specifically in the house. So we use a lot of that. And people love it. So it's pretty popular. And then you start thinking about, okay, how do I want to balance out the flavor profile of this? Like, even making an apple cider margarita, which is incredibly delicious. So you start off with a hard-pressed apple cider, which has a slightly fermented flavor profile to it anyway. Then you add a little bit of freshly grated cinnamon, so it has that apple pie flavor to it, white tequila, and then lime juice to balance those two flavor profiles out, and then a little splash of Cointreau, and you've got something really, really great. Cointreau is the sugar. The apple juice is obviously the body of what it's going to be. And then the vodka, or the, the white tequila is sort of the point of view that kind of makes it a really interesting margarita. And then the lime juice is going to be this really wonderful acid acidic flavor that kind of makes it really, really bright. So when I'm tasting something, if I'm either seasoning a a dish I'm cooking, or if I'm making a culinary cocktail, balance is the key. And you really have to ask yourself a question, does this taste jagged? Does it taste sharp, acidic? You know, does it taste like someone's going to give me a stomach ache? It's got too much uh, lime juice. Because if you taste an unseasoned margarita, that's just basically lime juice and tequila, 
Like I couldn't get through one of those if it wasn't really balanced. You need the the simple syrup or the Cointreau, depending on your point of view and preference on that. Kind of give it some body, some thickness, some viscosity, and a little pinch of salt. Salt and a margarita seasons it and makes it look delicious. And then the the ice is always a really interesting phenomenon. And we, listen, we can get deep into cocktails, uh, egg whites and, and and that kind of thing. But to me, like the 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 aspect of of stirring in ice and have it melt slightly to give it a little viscosity also to dilute it a little bit. So it's drinkable and not quite so harsh where, you know, sometimes you'll taste a cocktail and you kind of get this sort of head shake, you know, pucker in your mouth. Wow, that's really strong. A little bit of ice will shake it and break it up and dilute it and also kind of thicken it a little bit too and kind of bring it down to a really good temperature. Because even serving cocktails at the proper temperature makes them way more palatable as well. I love the notion of, of seasoning the cocktail. You start off, I mean, if you look at your, your pot roast metaphor, the tequila is the meat, and then you start adding the ingredients to kind of enhance that flavor as opposed to mask it or cover it up or do whatever it is. Yeah, like you, you, you want to start off with a really good piece of beef shoulder. You want to start off with really good uh, uh, tequila, for sure, right? Right. And then um, if, if it's really good tequila, then you kind of don't have to do anything to it. I just I like it just sort of chilled on the rocks with some ice and, you know, and then you have sort of a super skinny margarita, <laughs> straight tequila, a couple of drops of lime juice in it. But yeah, really. I mean, you, you, the cooking and seasoning cocktails and making cocktails is the same thing. You're just using different ingredients and you're cooking something hot or you're sculpting something wet. It's all about balance and flavor. They say that people eat with their eyes. Do you think people drink with their eyes? Like how important is the visual presentation of a cocktail? Presentation's everything. Like if you see a really beautiful martini, mm-hmm. you know, you can either have it shaken or stirred, right? And, and you know, if you shake it, you break up the ice and you have like these, these like icebergs on the pond, these right. like shards of ice that kind of get through the strainer, which are really nice. And then, uh, and then there's a, a viscous quality by adding just a couple of drops of you know, either, you know, of olive juice to it, because I like it dirty, which kind of changes the color, color profile. So it goes from clear to opaque. And then you've got these big, gorgeous, blue cheese stuffed olive skewers that are sort of floating around like a life raft. And, and that presentation in a really beautiful ups glass makes uh, something that, that is quite appealing. So it, it, and so I think presentation is everything, obviously. It's the same deal. Speaking and, and garnish with things that are part of the ingredient profile, to me, that's the way I've played up with dishes, too. Like I'll use some of the ingredients or some of the base ingredients um, if, you know, if there's like, for example, there's fresh thyme in the, in the base part of the recipe, and then that's sort of a, a high note as a flavor profile or rosemary or marjoram or mint or parsley or chive or basil, or whatever, then that herb will go back on top. So it, that makes sense. And then when you're garnishing cocktails and that's where some really true creative artistry and also partnership with the bar and the bar back and the kitchen really kind of come into play because we can dehydrate things, we can fry things, we can skewer things. And, uh, and partnering with um, our uh, bartenders at Wafer Tavern is always one of my fun things I like to do a couple times a year. And that's just really dream up brand new cocktails. So you think about garnishing and there's a, there's a garnishing style. It's called the shatter where you take, you take ingredients and you muddle them in the bottom and then you add ice to it and you add you know, your, your alcohol and then your second alcohol. If it's going to be, you know, gin and, and San Germain, or it's going to be vodka and San Germain or whatever it is. Right. For example, I'm making this up, but, 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 but <laughs> sounds but, good already. Yeah. Right. But then, but then if you, you crush f- fresh melon in that, you crush like honeydew melon and then gin and San Germain and, and then go chive or not chive, but 
chervil or tarragon, you can make something that almost kind of tastes like a salad. That's really refreshing at the same time. Um, and then so and we and then you know we'll put together a nice little bouquet for the bartender, which is you know, sort of culinary prep that uh, that's uh, in the cooler, ready for them to just sort of plunk a nice big piece into a glass to really kind of make it something special. But we take all that seriously. Like, like there's there's one drink that we did a couple of years ago that was so great. We did this like we we wanted to make this like pumpkin barbecue bourbon drink. Wow. And we're just making it up. Right. So so we we did okay. Let's do let's roast a pumpkin. And then let's take that and then let's puree it and strain it. So we really kind of had this kind of viscous pumpkin puree, almost like a juice. Right. And then we added bourbon to that. And then we added kind of pumpkin pie spice. And then we added a little bit of chili note to it. And then uh, we, we took sweet potato chips and then slowly fried those and dusted those in like a barbecue spice. And then so the cocktail would come with two um, delicately placed kind of slightly oversized barbecue sweet potato chips on top of the drink. Wow. And I think that stuff's kind of fun. It certainly makes something a, a, a lot more appealing because that's not something you, you know, that's not just sticking a, one of those old school maraschino cherries and something and calling it a day. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, that that's true too. Just like drinking tequila on the rocks. There's nothing not wrong with that either. Anything, yeah. Now there's anything wrong with that. Not being <laughs> sloppy. Like I, I, I like, I like that neon red, you know, Gatorade red, you know, cherry, just like the next one. I was thinking like with your Manhattan with the cranberries, of course, you know, like you're saying, the cranberry seems to make an obvious garnish for that kind of drink. And it would look just like a maraschino cherry and that sort of thing. And that and that kind of ad-libbing on what you're already doing. It's, it's this other thing where people sometimes mix. It's like the old California cuisine kind of thing where you take two things that shouldn't go together and you jam them together and call that inventive. And, and that's a different sort of thing. And I don't really... I don't kind of get that. Some things work, like just everything you said, like the carrot margarita. Boy, that that just seems like that would work. Where, you know, some of these other things, they just get weird. You, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but, you know, where they just kind of mash and stuff. Yeah, I, I can. Because, like, you, you never know if something's going to work or not until you try it. And and we definitely had some cocktail exploration that <laughs> we, we looked each other in the eye and said, okay, we're taking this one to the grave. No one's ever going to know how bad this is. But what we do in that sort of exploration, that sort of trial and error thing, is because like sometimes you know success is built upon the pillar of failure. You, and if you're not, fail, you're not failing forward from a creative level, you're not really applying yourself. And that's when it comes to cooking and writing recipes and books and shooting television shows and making great cocktails. Sometimes you got to play around with stuff to really get the balance right. Because like the idea behind the failure that you're looking at or tasting is, is the real story. So then sometimes you, you take the first one and go, okay, that doesn't work. But what if we take, you know, to your, your metaphor of California cuisine, like what if we take lemongrass and Thai basil and what if we go fresh coconut milk with it and then, and then add a couple of like a chili thing to it and then add some, some spiced rum and, and, and turn it into something that kind of feels like Tom Yum Guy soup. Wait, wait, wait. I'm writing this down. Hold on. They just made that up off the top of my head. And that sounds fabulous. But I don't know if that's going to taste good until I try it. And it, right. could be, it could be disgusting. It could be brilliant all at the same time. So it's not, if you really, like from a creative aspect, you have to go there. And, and the more you do, the more you know when it comes to like boundaries as far as what's going to work. Because like, you definitely don't want to fail twice, right? But, <laughs> but you... But you want to you want to fail forward when it comes to like making things that are really delicious. And so you know when it comes to cooking and songwriting and music, right? You know, although there's only there's a set amount of ingredients that the world's pretty familiar with already, 
and a set amount of notes on the, on the, on the keys that, you know, the world's already discovered. But the combination of that is limitless. You can really come up with some great flavors. And it's kind of a party trick. I could just do what we just did with that Tom Young Guy cocktail. I can do that all day long. I can come up with flavor combinations of recipes off the top of my head and never repeat myself. I do it for hours. It's like a combination lock. Even if there's just four numbers, there's an infinite combination of those things. Yeah. And then once you start adding uh, you know, quantities too, to the equation, then it really, I mean, it's almost endless. And when you crack it, you crack it. Right. Right. When you crack them, like, ah, that's it. That is brilliant. Yeah. That's, and so we, we embrace failure. We embrace the experimentation of, of not getting it right because the thing behind the thing is, is what we're really going after. And rarely do we, you know, when we come up with, you know, like our fried chicken at Wafer Tavern, like that took me almost three months to get right. But when we got it right, we're like, oh, whoa, this is special. And now Food & Wine Magazine said it's one of the, it's the ninth best fried chicken in the country. That's fabulous. It, it, took, me, it took me three months and we almost... Yeah. We almost abandoned it twice. And, and fried chickens, that, that's an established thing, right? And it still took you three months to come up with your own version of it. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And again, the, I think your idea of not being afraid to fail twice, but it's failing twice the same way. That's the problem. If you keep making the same mistake, that's a different sort of thing. That's not really moving forward. Luckily, that doesn't, you know, I mean, again, in the cocktail business, it's more immediate than cooking because I can make a drink in 30 seconds where making, you know, making a meal is a little, a little more of an investment of time. But it comes. It starts in the same place. It starts at like I'm going to make somebody happy today. I'm going to make something delicious that someone's really going to love. And as a business, someone's going to pay for it. And and so you know you want to come up with something that's like you know that has classic nostalgia to it. And that to me is is where I always begin my creative process is taking something that already has a uh, a classic identification to it. And because I do that, there's a, there's not a big, huge learning curve. Like if you go to a Michelin three-star restaurant, and I love gastronomy, I love restaurants like that, like you're not really eating a dish per se as much as you're eating a collection of, of ingredients and textures perfectly cooked. And so you'll get you'll, you'll taste like shrimp at, at, at its peak of season perfectly cooked, and you taste some sort of crispy element or a sauce with that that tastes really, really great, but it's not meant to replicate or meant to scale. It's, it's like today, one night only, this particular thing, these are some ingredients we threw together. When I come up with something, I'd like to take like a classic nostalgic concept like a Manhattan and then turn that in, into best in category, best in class, where you've never tasted a Manhattan before like this, right. um, but it's still a Manhattan. So everybody can get their head around it. So that's how I, I kind of like to write recipes. And that's kind of where I like to start just so there's some common ground. And people can do, you know, and, and also kind of just getting the word out of how good it is. Like people, um, if, if you can describe it, you're doing yourself from a PR standpoint a favor because they can go out and describe it to somebody else. There's an element of familiarity. People like to, you know, they like to experiment, but they also like to, to know what they're getting into before they do that. You know, I've seen some, some cocktails on menus where I'm like, I don't even know where to begin with that. You know, I'm more experimental than, than many people, so I would try it, but I can see where your, your average person might not. And, and you're right, there's a huge difference between a Michelin star restaurant, which is a singular experience, right? It's that night, that moment, that thing. That's a little different than, than, than most people, you know, the regular cocktail. That warehouse, right? Yeah. <laughs> Good analogy. Which which is all about sort of the classic tried and true, you know, and but then there's some really innovative dishes on the menu. Like the brick chicken is just one of my favorite dishes ever. And it never changes, and I appreciate that. Which is bingo. Never changes. I appreciate that. 
Yeah. Well, and that's the other aspect of it is the familiarity, the idea that you can go back there and get the same thing again, where maybe at that Michelin star restaurant, they're not going to have shrimp. It's not in season or they're not going to have whatever, but they're two, they're two different kinds of experiences. And that's true in the cocktail world too, that there's, there's an experimental side. And then there's that man, I'm, I'm home from work. I'm tired. I just want a drink that makes me feel good and I can relax and unwind. And that's a, that's a different thing, but you know, they're both equally valid. And that's kind of how we break down our, our cooking. There's always two sides of the coin when it comes to creativity because, you know, we, we, uh, we're blessed and lucky uh, to have, you know, a 25-year career on Food Network. When we create content for that avenue, it's simple. It's not dumbed down by any means, but it's simple uh, because it has to be something that's really familiar and easy to make and something that's going to give you immediate gratification that's spectacular. And, and I, I think maybe because of that, I've formatted, you know, my thinking to go classics just because there's a, that easy buy-in. Like our macaroni and cheese is, is, is macaroni and cheese, but it's best in category, best in class. Like we put a lot of work into designing that particular recipe that's going to taste absolutely delicious and kind of give you everything you want. Sharpness, creaminess, freshness, crispiness, ooey gooey, cheese pull, like all those things are engineered, not by accident, right? And, and when, it, when it comes to like cooking and making cocktails, but but then when you put it on the menu, it's like macaroni and cheese. It's like, holla, I'm in. I want that. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. I want that, right? And uh, but, but then you get it. You, you just close your eyes for a second and savor it. And and you just like, this is the best. As, this is as good as it gets. I have a quick question for you, Tyler. I'm on your Wolf It Down website. Yeah. And uh, notice that the mac and cheese and the fried chicken are uh, included on there. Can you talk a little bit about what is going on with that website and how things have evolved, especially in the past year? Oh, well, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, so Wolf It Down is our new culinary hub. That's where you're going to find our latest recipes. That's where you're going to find our latest videos, all of our new cookbooks, fun products that will make your kitchen sizzle. It's the it's the ticket window to our live cooking class series. Uh, so we're really excited about that. So it's been our you know big focus during the pandemic lockdown is just to really create like a whole brand new world for ourselves to cook in. And we're very very excited about it. It's um it's beyond my wildest dreams. Well, and how timely is it? My gosh, I, I mean, you said you started this three four years ago. Who would have thought that we'd be in where where we're at now? Do you see with plethora of like online videos, like cooking tutorials, how relevant will cookbooks be in the next few years? Or do you think there's still a place for them? I think people have, like everybody, myself included, sort of a, a short attention span. If you can do something, you can kind of master the big idea of it. But was it a cup or a cup and a half? Was it two tablespoons or one teaspoon? Like, what was that again? But I'm making pancakes, so I, I kind of get the gist of it. But what was that detail? So I think having the formula written down someplace that's accessible, I don't think that'll ever run out of gas. I think there will be fewer cookbooks because I think publishers are taking less risks on newer sort of startup culinary brands that don't really have the social backing to really help sell what the product's going to be. Not that there aren't some breakout stars because they're always always are and always should be. But I just think there's going to be fewer better books. But you're right. We're in a, a big, huge transition right now where it's becoming more accessible and better. Because like if you watch television, you know, you can you can get what they give you. But if you watch a live virtual cooking series and, it, and it's quality, like ours, I have a whole in-house production team. I have a production company where we make movies and we make television. 
And uh, live virtual cooking classes was just like a slam dunk, easy. You've got a five camera switcher, shoots and all shot in 4K. So you're never missing a moment of the action. Everywhere, wherever there's a close up needed, you get one. So it's really exciting to watch. So yeah, we, we just love it. I think we're doing a great job. I love my team. With the, the book world, like you're saying, that it's changed where before you used to write a book to become an expert. Now they want an expert to write a book. And that's kind of a different dynamic than it was. I think you want to buy a book from an expert. Like I, I don't want to buy a, a book from somebody who's, who's feeling their way through it. I want to buy a, <laughs> want to buy a book that's going to you know help me be a better person. I'm really happy that I made this choice early in my life to become a chef because we'll never get kicked off the island, right? We're all, you know, we're, people always want to eat. So we're sort of recession-proof. Our content's always like really valuable. When times are bad, people want to eat and cook. When times are good, people want to eat and cook. So yes. um, we're, we're always uh, relevant, which I'm, I'm super grateful for. You know, we're trying to be a better version of ourselves every day, every year, than we were yesterday and last year. So Wolf It Down is this building block of a good concept and a real fun catchy slogan name and turning into something that I think a lot of people are really into right now and it's getting really sticky. So don't worry about tomorrow. Take it for today. Please join us next time when we welcome Nish Nataraja, restaurateur, entrepreneur, and one of the originators of Yelp and the founder of the Yelp Elite. My name is Jeff Brooker. Thanks for listening.